0: Our scripture lesson for today, the day of Pentecost, comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phyrega and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine." then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. People of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. As I look out there, I see some of you got the memo and wore red today. If you didn't, it's all good. It's fine. But Pentecost Sunday, or the day of Pentecost, as we call it today, is one of two days in, in the Lutheran church where we wear red. So, yay. Now, I've got my red stole on, like I was kind of mentioning with the kids a minute ago. And many of you know that when we've got a special liturgical day, I usually will wear my clerical shirt, which under my robe right now. I'll wear the, that particular color because, you know, yay, you got to be fancy. I went to put on my red clerical shirt this morning, and as I started to button it up, The top button right here, fell off, was laying on the floor, and I just looked at it like, this is problematic. I have no button, so I can't button my shirt. That would be weird. And then I realized, well, I'm going to be wearing a robe anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But I was like, well, that's not cool. This is a disruption that I don't like. Now, it's minor. It's not a humongous deal. but, But it kind of threw me off just a little bit. But I put on a different shirt. It was fine. I came over. I was getting ready for the morning kind of doing all my normal stuff, kind of walking in and out of the sanctuary, just getting things ready. And at one point, I happened to glance at, up at the clock that's above the doors to go back out. If you can't see it from here, it's on the wrong side of the wall. But I glanced up at the clock, and I noticed the clock was not the right time. I was confused. I looked at my watch. Like What's going on? The battery was dying. Another disruption. So I had to get the ladder out and I had to go change the battery to get the clock right. It was throwing me off. Everything was wrong. And I thought to myself, why are we getting all these disruptions? And I didn't have a good answer for it. Other than maybe God is laughing at me. Because sometimes I think that happens. Now, let's take the idea of disruptions. Just sort of tuck them in the back of your head, and let's think about our scripture. Now, we got to sort of set the scene just a little bit, and we also need to back up just a little bit with where we've been at. Now, Easter was 50 days ago, 50 days, when we celebrated the resurrected Lord, the resurrected Jesus. Now, our scripture stories, are various things that we had in the subsequent weeks, we zeroed in on the various times when the resurrected Lord was appearing to various disciples and various individuals in different places, in different settings, and all of these different moments. And this went on for a while. And we know that Jesus hung around, the resurrected Jesus hung around 40 days after, after he was resurrected. But he had also been talking about how he was going to return to heaven. He was not going to stay put on earth and things were going to change. Well, that happened at day number 40. So 10 days ago, Jesus blesses the disciples. He reminds them, I want you to hang out in Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. Just hang out. Just stay there. Just chill. You don't have to do anything. Just hang out. And then Jesus ascends to heaven, and so for 10 days they are by themselves. Now, here's the thing. Do you think that they actually just hung out, or did they do stuff? Now, they did stuff. And we have one story that actually keys us in on the one thing that the earliest church tried to do before they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it was Peter. Because it's always Peter, right? It's always Peter. This happens in Acts chapter 1, so shortly before what I read today. So Peter stands up, and he had sort of been identified by Jesus at different times. Like, hey, you're kind of going to be the one that's sort of going to be in charge, so maybe you need to start doing these things. And I think Peter decides, it's time for me to get to work. I have an idea. There used to be 12 of us disciples. One of them is now gone, so we need to replace them. And he tries to quote some Old Testament scripture as to why to do it. I think the guy fails miserably. But he says, we're going to replace him. And so they have this idea. There's these two guys over here. And they've been with us the entire time, even though Jesus didn't name them as disciples. So they have seen all the stuff that went on. And so we need to appoint one of them, and God will choose who it's going to be. So they line these two guys up, and they essentially flip a coin. I mean, real, real official, right? Like, this is the best way to do it. They cast lots, which is essentially flipping a coin. And the lot falls to this guy named Matthias. And they say, Matthias, you are the new 12th disciple. And he takes his place, and we never hear about the guy again. Never. So is it just me, the first thing the church did kind of a moot point? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I'm sure he did important stuff, and, and we just don't hear about it. But the one thing that happens, and of course, it's Peter that spearheads the whole thing. But that's the one story, the one thing. Now, from there, that occurred, and now we arrive at the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish festival. It's actually one of their big three festivals. It's 50 days after Passover, which kind of corresponds directly with Easter, or pretty pretty commonly with Easter. And this is why so many Jewish people are in Jerusalem at this time. For the big festivals, they would all come, and they would all celebrate it. So during this time, we hear that this group of believers is all together in one place, and it's it's very likely it's not only these... direct disciples, but also about 120 people who have been direct followers of Jesus. They're all gathered together. And everybody's just sort of in the city, just they're there for the celebration. And all of a sudden, a disruption goes on. And I can only think that this is probably a bigger deal than my top button popping off and having to change a battery and a clock. We hear about the si- the, the sound of a mighty, rushing, violent wind... Anybody ever been in a really strong thunderstorm? I mean, we're from the Midwest, so yes. Okay. There was a time uh, back in 2005. I was in Orlando during this little debacle known as Hurricane Charlie. That was fun. But I did step outside at one point, point. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like a thunderstorm. It's windy. So, like, in true Midwestern form, I just stood outside and looked at it. <laughs> Real smart on my part. But there's the sound of this, um, this mighty rushing wind. And that kind of gets everybody's attention. And they're like, what is going on here? And then we hear that something like tongues of fire shows up and lands on the disciples' heads. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of, of what appears to be fire sitting on my head sounds a little bit scary. And can you imagine looking around like you look like a Christmas candle? What is going on? Chris, Christmas candle? Birthday candle. What is going on? Why do you have fire on your head? And they're like, you have fire on your head. It's weird, it's scary, but it's the arrival of the Holy Spirit, one of only two times that we have in the scriptures when the Spirit shows up somehow, somehow, physically. And they are empowered, and we hear that they begin speaking in different languages, and they're talking about the amazing deeds of God's power. All of the things that they have witnessed through the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and throughout his ministry and all of these different things that, that they have seen him do, that they have seen and witnessed God do, they're speaking about it in different languages. Now, I can only think that this is important because we have all of those people from so many different places around the known world who would have their own languages, their own local dialects, and it seems that they are hearing and they are understanding and they're amazed they're all speaking our language, and they're from this one place. There's no way this should be going on. And they're, they're amazed, except for this one really small group of people who are like, yeah, they're drunk. And with that, Peter jumps up, and I think maybe Peter is redeeming himself ever so slightly from that weird thing that we had the chapter before. And he starts into this long message And now he's actually empowered by God. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it seems that this long message that he has is amazing and wonderful. And it really kind of begins to set the course for the earliest church, which has now been baptized by the Holy Spirit, which is now all gathered together in the power of the Spirit. Now, first thing he does is he kind of points out it's only 9 a.m. If it was after lunchtime, maybe your excuse would be okay, but that's not the case. And he starts talking about how all of this was foretold. God told us this would happen. And he starts quoting the prophet Joel. And then he goes on and he gives this long sermon. And it works really well, folks, because 3,000 people became believers and were baptized that day. 3,000. Now, the most baptisms I've ever had at one time was five. So, and we got one today, which one is good for me. Is one good for you guys? Yes, okay, sorry. We don't have 3,000 people here, and most of you have been baptized already anyway, so maybe that's a moot point. But the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that empowered that first church to go out and be the body of Christ in the world, and it begins in Jerusalem, and Jesus had said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and out to the ends of the earth. That same Spirit empowered them, and that same Spirit empowers us. Now, in just a few more minutes, Lainey's going to be baptized, and she, too, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and she will join as a fellow member of the body of Christ, empowered by that same Holy Spirit, and I am excited to see how that will manifest in her life, just as I love seeing how the Holy Spirit empowers every single one of us to go out and be the church in the world. Now, the Spirit helps us do amazing things, And it also binds us together as the one body. It binds us together as a community. But the spirit can also be, at times, kind of disruptive. And I think there's an important distinction. I'm going to go original language for just a minute here. Not just one, but two original languages because I love them both and I think they're great. The word for spirit that we have originally in the Greek, which would have been the New Testament, is pneuma. That's kind of a fun one, right? Pneuma. Hebrew is better. You got to clear your throat on that one. Otherwise, it doesn't sound right. But ruach and pneuma, they mean spirit, but they can also mean breath, or they can mean wind. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. Now, wind is amazing, and it can do some amazing things, and we can harness it in amazing ways. My son is learning how to use the great big windmills to, to harness wind and turn it into electricity, and this is a good thing. But how many times have we been through a storm and we've seen the destructive power of wind, the disruptive power of wind? It cannot be controlled. It can be harnessed, but it cannot be controlled. And I believe that the Holy Spirit works in the same way. We can harness it. We can be empowered by it. We also can't control it. And that's an important thing for us to remember that when when God sends us empowered out into the world, who knows what God might accomplish. May you be encouraged to know that the Spirit binds you together with with a community, with the entire body of Christ around the world, but also may you be empowered to go out and be disruptive as we declare the amazing deeds of power of a God who loves each one of us so much that we are claimed as beloved children. Amen.